0: Uh, I like to start by taking refuge. You're welcome to do this along with me. I take refuge in the Buddha. I take refuge in the Dharma. I take refuge in Sangha. So I wanted to talk today about practice which is a word much used and loved in uh, dharma circles maybe especially in the zen tradition and we use it so much it refers to just about anything (laughs) or everything right um so i i don't know i think sometimes It can be a little confusing people ask well what's your practice and you're like my spiritual practice my meditation practice my work practice my precepts practice my chanting practice my daily life practice and then we have all these other like specific practices that we do on and off the cushion like There's loving-kindness practice. There's concentration practice. There's breath-awareness practice. There's open-awareness practice. There's inquiry or koan practice. There's embodiment practice. And then we have also this general way of talking about practice where like something challenging or difficult is happening in our lives. And we could say, oh, it's good practice, which has become like, uh, a phrase used so often at the monastery that there was a monastery resident who had like one of those little clickers that like every time you click it it goes one two and they were just counting how many times good practice was used in a single day at the monastery it's just, it can become like a little cop out like I don't really know what to say to this person but there is in person so I'll say good practice <laughs> it's good. We even say that to ourselves. So. so, what? What is what is practice? I mean, this actually I can make a little bit joke about it. We can put anything, um, say anything, and then say practice. Like, oh, this is listening to a dharma talk practice. <laughs> or this is uh, aware of my breath for a minute practice. But what? You know, what is practice? This is a good is a, a deep, this is a deep question actually, this is a question that um, Dogen Zenji carried with him when he went to China, so he had um, this is the founder of uh, Soto Zen in Japan, uh, so one of, you know, one of our kind of bigger lineage ancestors uh, in, in the sense that this person made a huge impact on what we have received in terms of Zen practice, um, and they were carrying. Dogen was really carrying this question. He had done a lot of uh, retreat, had had studied Zen in Japan, and also had studied studied Rinzai Zen in Japan, and also had studied a form of uh, Vajrayana a Buddhist practice, a Japanese form of Vajrayana Buddhist practice. And he was still kind of like looking for something. His heart wasn't, you know, completely at ease. Like he felt like, oh, there's got to be more. And he encountered a monk in Japan, and and asked this question, like, what is practice? What is practice? Is it really everything? And that, you know, that could be a very personal inquiry for us, like. And just to use the, maybe the most general way we can think about practice what is you know your spiritual practice to you is it is it everything does it encompass all parts of your life do you want it to even <laughs> or is it like something that's a part of your day or a part of your week and what does it mean to to have a practice you know, practice implies, I, we use this word and, and in the English language, you know, I think sometimes you can think of like, oh, practicing the piano and when I was a kid and it was like this or, um, but what does it mean to have a practice? A practice implies, you know, that there is, there is a discipline, uh, there is a form to it. It's something that maybe we can do and we can not do, right? There's maybe a choice point there. What else makes a practice? It's also a very, it's a very interesting question, especially when we use this word so much. And what does, you know, what does that mean to you? Like what? What's your personal relationship to your Zen practice or your meditation practice or your spiritual practice? So Dogen Zenji, um, the person I quoted earlier, uh, has a piece of writing called Continuous Practice. And uh, we studied this for Ango a couple of years ago. And in it, he says, between aspiration practice, realization an expression there is not a moment's gap continuous practice creates the circle of the way and is never cut off so what is the continuous thread that runs through all practice whether it's our spiritual practice our meditation practice our chanting practice our work practice our breath counting practice What is the continuous thread? And I would say that continuous thread is awareness or attention. And this framework of of, of having a practice or doing a practice uh, invites us to ask well what are you doing with your attention in a given moment? We sometimes say, we're always practicing something. So what is it that you're practicing? What are you giving your attention to in this moment? Now, like really now, that's the only time we can really kind of use this mirror of practice. I'm the only, only moment we're alive is right now. So we can Practice. We can attend to habitual thought, worry, manipulation of others in subtle ways, complaining, distraction, the narrator, that, that voice that just tells us what we're doing every moment. <laughs> or we can uh, practice or attend to wonder wonderment, openness, forgiveness, joy. So that's kind of like the most essential way we can look at practice is what are we what are we attending to? What are we giving our attention to? And as as Dogen Zengi says in this quote, he says, aspiration, practice, realization, and expression In a way, they're all one. There's not a moment's gap. They're stacked on top of each other. So what our intention is and what we're attending to are intimately woven. Our attention shapes our practice in the moment, shapes the realization and expression. So, for example, because this is kind of starting to get abstract, if we don't really have an intention or an aspiration in a given moment, um, and say, so say we're going about our day, and we don't really have an intention, we're not doing a particular practice, we're just kind of floating through our day, and a memory arises of a time that, that we were wronged, and perhaps it happened like 5 years ago and mostly has been resolved but the memory of what the person did arises in your mind and ar- what arises kind of immediately on that is, is just anger is resentment is self-righteousness and you start to get caught up in it and your your mind starts like keeps generating this this memory or similar memories and you start to like feel that that anger, that resentment, that righteousness, and and a coolness comes over you and you kind of notice you're a little short-tempered and somebody that you love or care about walks past you, maybe the grocery store at work or in your home, and you're kind of cool, like you're kind of defensive with them. And you might like stay in this state for days without a lot of attention. We can continue to stew or feed that particular thought or narration about how we're wronged or um, the, the resentment and how it's justified or how it hasn't actually been resolved. And then maybe, you know, something happens. We call a friend and blow off some steam or something else big kind of happens in our awareness and our attention gets shifted to that or we shake the memory for a while until uh, something else arises and kind of we get like fall into to that spell. So in that example, like what is what is practice? And this is you know more talking about daily life practice, um, but it also can apply to on the cushion. And the first you know aspect heart of practice is this intention to be present, to be aware. And presence is, is a spectrum. It usually starts with grounding our attention in embodied experience through the senses. And so, first aspect of practice, this aspiration part, is to be present. And then as we're present, and usually, like I said, we become present, we like come back to presence through our senses, through the body is actually always in the present moment. Our senses are always in the present moment. It's just when we get um, kind of absorbed in thought that we kind of shift into the content of thought and, and lose track of our bodies, lose track of our senses. So first, is the intention to be present it's the first aspect of of any practice and then through presence we begin to notice well what's happening inside what thoughts beliefs views are kind of coloring our perception and so we notice that you know if we would have enacted that at the beginning of the scenario that I shared, you know, we might notice, we might have noticed at some point, like, "Whoa, I'm I'm really angry," and that may have like kind of brought us like deeper into, "Whoa, okay, what's going on there?" Maybe it happened when we noticed we were kind of cool with uh, the loved one, or maybe we noticed it just like starting to get hot after after thinking these thoughts or remembering these memories so sometimes like practice can help us catch becoming present can help us catch what's going on inside what am i doing what am i thinking what am i believing so that that next step is is like the practice and the realization we become present we turn our attention inward And then we kind of realize, like, oh, what's going on here? (laughs) What am I thinking? What am I believing? And then we can respond. So that's the next place where Dogen Zanji says expression. Then we respond to our experience from compassion. So, like, you know, in a moment, it may be, okay, we come back to the present, feel our body. Maybe it's through sound. Maybe it's through breath. Then we notice, oh, wow, it's like I was really daydreaming there. <laughs> maybe we notice, oh, like there's there's some resentment or there's this feeling of not being good enough. And then we can bring curiosity or love or compassion to you know, what's happening internally. And sometimes that is like we bring compassion and it's a letting go. It's like, oh, I was really distracted. Like, I can just come back to the breath. And I don't really need to, like, pursue the content of that. Or, or I was just fell into some fantasy. It's gone now. I can't even, f- like, remember what it was about. And you know, sometimes that happens. But sometimes we come back and there is, like, You know, we were we were really hot with resentment and we we come back and our bodies are still activated. And so sometimes like responding with compassion is like attending to the activation, like, okay, like what's going on there? And maybe we touch, you know, underneath that, that anger, that resentment is a part of us that's still hurt. And we can like include that in our presence, can respond to that part of us with compassion, with the listening, with attention and then sometimes the compassionate response is has more of an active quality, like um, you're committing to cultivate forgiveness, to like really work with you know, what was arising and you know, to stay with it so for the next few days, maybe we'll practice forgiveness on the meditation cushion or maybe the compassionate response in another situation would be you know, cultivating loving-kindness, or patience with ourselves, or patience with another or joy, or wonderment, or play so it can be like, the response can be very, very open so there are four facets, the intention is to be present compassionately present, and then bringing awareness to what's happening that's the practice either mediated through breath mediated through listening mediated through whatever helps us stay present and then the realization is whatever is revealed when we bring awareness to what's happening to our inner state and then compassionate response is the expression which usually leads us back to compassionate presence which is why and as Zenji said, it's is the circle of the way. It's like, there's the intention to be present. There's the practice of being present. <laughs> there's the realization of what is happening in this moment. what's arising internally. And then there's the expression, how do I respond? And that usually brings us back to presence. And so it continues. It's a continuous cycle. And of course, we... You come off, go off of presence and then we come back and that's a big part of that intention practice piece. So practice uh, on the cushion is uh, very similar, but perhaps a little more directed. So that was more like that example that I gave was more like practice Could could have happened on the cushion but usually, like, more in daily life, like, we get so caught by a thought and, you know, have these interactions with other people that maybe, like, begin to wake us up to what's going on internally. But practice on the cushion, we can be a little bit more directed. Um, and practice on the cushion, we usually have a method. And this is, like, you know, a word that we kind of learned from, um, Guagu, when he was at the monastery, he started using method to refer to practice on the cushion, and I think that can be helpful because we have, you know, we have our spiritual practice, our meditation practice. We have all these ways of talking about practice, just daily life practice. That, um, you know, the the practice that we do on the cushion is usually a little more directed. So, using the word "oh, this is our method" uh, can sometimes just help. Break some of that confusion of what, you know, what are we talking about when we talk about practice? And I would say there are maybe like five main categories of practice that we do on the cushion or methods that we do on the cushion, which of course can be carried in some way into daily life. So each um, meditation method has the overall intention of compassionate presence the overall intention to be present with whatever is happening from a place of compassion. But also, each has more specific intentions that are cultivated. So the first um, practice I would call, or the first method I would call embodiment. And this is some way of allowing our attention to inhabit our bodies, awareness of the body, dropping into embodied experience, whether that's through a slow body scan or through some just gentle movement before we start or through just setting up the posture. It's a way of moving from, you know, often when we sit down, we're, we're coming from something, we've been engaged in thought activity or conversation, so a lot of times our attention is in our heads and to like really open up awareness into the body you know just in that in and of itself can like bring us more into uh, presence because we're less like you know we might sit down and we're 80 percent here and like five percent in our bodies and uh, some other percentage like aware of sound or who else is in the room uh, or what we're seeing, and then, you know, if we like, let ourselves close our eyes and just move into our bodies, like, that that scale shifts, that percentage shifts from, oh, maybe now we're 50% uh, in our bodies, feeling our bodies, and the other 50% is scattered through our other senses. And, you know, being in embodied experience feeling the body deeply is itself a meditation method so we can do a body scan but we also can just come back keep coming back to the felt sense of the body sitting or the body lying down or the body walking or the body moving if we're off the cushion the next um type of meditation practice or method is uh, concentration. And concentration with support is something that we often teach uh, as an ongoing method. It's something that we uh, often are always like working on, on some level. And maybe sometimes we're really cultivating concentration. Maybe other times we're using um concentration with support as a light method to just allow our attention to rest in the present moment um, Anne klein says this is a, a dharma teacher in the tibetan tradition she says our mind wanders incessantly but our our body and senses are always in the present to investigate our embodied experience is to investigate the living present. So that's the um, you know, zeitgeist of concentration practice. It's coming into that lively, uh, liveliness of the present moment. So you all know that there are many different methods of concentration. There's breath awareness, there's body awareness, there's listening to sound, there's using the visual field. Those are all probably the most common uh, methods. And these methods that are concentration with support, they give us something to do with our attention. Right? Because our attention is used to just following thought. So if we don't have something to do, oftentimes we sit down on the cushion, we feel our bodies, but we are also doing things <laughs> in our minds, either like thinking or planning or worrying or conjuring up um, scenarios that bring about anger or you know whatever it is we're doing so concentration or having a support having this method gives us something to do with our attention and something to sink into and it's something um, to come back to so the sinking into like we can get more and more intimate with the breath like you know we might start meditating and it's like such a chore to feel the breath and we're using everything that we've got we're like we've got a visualization going with the breath, like we're imagining maybe waves and we've got counting going and it's just like everything, like just bringing more and more supports in to really stay with the breath. But as we like familiarize ourselves with breath awareness practice, like it can get like deeply interesting and, and also like open up portals of pleasure. Um, and same with listening and same with uh, using the visual field. And so the invitation with concentration practice or contemplation practice or uh, method of concentration is really supported by um, like tuning into enjoyment and interest. Because without interest, it's not going to deepen if we're not interested in what we're paying attention to it's just it does it does feel like a chore it does feel like this task that we have to like get through when's the bell gonna ring Um, but but we can like learn and i've found my pathway was more through enjoyment and then interest came it's like oh can i let myself enjoy breathing Or what, you know, what aspect of breathing do I already enjoy? Or what aspect of listening? And can I just like, like, you know, that's a natural in to attention. And so that can really shift the scales to like maybe 80% of our attention is listening if we're really enjoying it. So that might be finding a sound that you really enjoy listening to. Some people put on white noise and really like sinking into that sound, or that might be finding you know, pleasure in the breath, or in, or in just simply feeling the body, or in, in looking at something that you enjoy looking at. And what happens is actually when, as our attention gets more subtle, the enjoyment gets more subtle, and it's like, oh, actually, I've found that even just the act of being aware or of attending is enjoyable, and that starts to sh- can start to shift um, the desire to want to do it, and then getting interested. So that can maybe that's more your route. Getting getting curious, like curious about sounds, but like curious from listening or curious from the breathing not like curious about it like i wonder what that sound is (laughs) or i wonder how far away that sound i just heard is you know that's bringing us into the thinking mind but like curious like i wonder if i can listen to this quiet sound of the crickets and hear the sounds of the traffic and hear the sounds of my thoughts just all as one sound like I'm listening to a piece of music or getting curious about like how many tones are in that sound of the fan can I hear them all can I hear them together can I separate them out and hear them separate so it's like you know, kind of setting up these little games to get you more engaged. Or with the breath, I like always like to, can I feel just all of the sensations that make up the inhalation? And what happens when I like really zoom in, like really get present? Because sometimes the mind starts to predict ahead, like, oh yeah, I know the inhalation, like there's this beginning and the middle and then the top. And I'll just go right to the top. (laughs) And then it's like, and then the exhalation comes and I'll just go right to the bottom. But there's all these like tiny sensations that we can like, like really zoom into or sink into, like let ourselves just slow down. And it's not like slowing down the breath. It's just slowing down our mind, slowing down our attention. Like, oh, like, like, can I be interested in this part of the breath? And then this part, and and who cares about getting to the top of the inhalation? Let's just be with this. And then the top of the inhalation just comes, and then we're there. So those are ways of of inviting more interest or uh, enjoyment into maybe a sense of playfulness, right? Into our uh, meditation practice or meditation method. And then another form of uh, meditation method is called open awareness. And this usually expands from concentration. So we're you know using concentration to really ground our attention in the present moment. And then you can shift into opening your awareness. So maybe you keep a light touch on the breath or a light touch on, on sound. But the rest of the senses are also open another way i think i think of this practice is it's relaxing attention so it takes like a lot of attention to do what i was just talking about like getting so interested in the breath or so interested in sound and this is kind of the opposite of zooming in and like getting really like attentive it's zooming out and letting your attention just rest back in to awareness which is functioning freely through all of your senses so it's not referencing a particular sense including thought which is what makes it hard because we're not doing anything to like get ourselves more interested in something besides thought and so thoughts are happening but you're just letting them happen like all the other senses so that it's a it's a, a more subtle practice in some ways and it can be something that you do just maybe at the end of a block of concentration it's like when the bell rings relaxing back into awareness for a few breaths or something that you do for the last few minutes of your meditation or something you can kind of toggle back and forth with you do a, like deep Kind of zooming in concentration and then resting because the mind clarifies when we're practicing concentration, and then we have more capacity to just rest in awareness without getting pulled into the content of thought. And then the last um, meditation method is called inquiry, or in the Zen tradition, koan work. Uh, koan practice and usually inquiry partners with some form of concentration or open awareness and it involves using a question a word or an image to deepen our curiosity so inquiry brings us deeper into our direct experience uh, but it also begins to open us to uh, some of the core insights uh, in like that dharma that dharma can open us to so we might you know be focusing on oh like studying impermanence that might be like the theme so we'll practice concentration for a while and then you know just begin to notice impermanence in your direct experience how things are changing how it's hard to hold on to anything it's just constantly dissolving so something new can emerge or we might look into the nature of the self, or the nature of awareness itself. And then the koans, so that's that's a form of inquiry or insight, is, is kind of studying the nature of experience. The koans, in particular, bring us into contact with maybe more of our deeper existential questions, our longings, um, or into deeper relationship with parts of ourself or the world that may have been like kind of disowned or othered uh, so koan work can be a form of, of shadow work uh, koans can open up deep intimacy with the particulars of our lives and op- also open us up to the oneness of all things oh and then I, I forgot there's one more form of Um, meditation method, and that's loving kindness and compassion. And those are practices that are both a form of embodiment and concentration, and usually involve cultivating an attitude of the heart, such as kindness or gratitude or generosity or forgiveness or compassion or joy for self and other. And there's usually a, a form that that takes. So sometimes loving kindness is you know, saying phrases, sometimes it's usually using visualization, visualizing someone who we care about and want to um, send loving kindness to or compassion to. Sometimes it's imagining scenarios where um, we're sometimes activated and practicing being in compassionate presence with ourselves in those spaces. Uh, Sometimes it's sending or being with uh, ourselves, or part of ourselves, with compassion and uh, and kindness, or sometimes it's just like sitting and breathing from the heart and practicing just feeling the heart center it can be easy in meditation, especially if we're prone to um, avoiding feeling our hearts, <laughs> um, to meditate with our minds or meditate like you know, from other parts of the body and just not conveniently not include, uh, the heart. So that's why we have this whole like method of, of, um, loving kindness and compassion practices to really help us like tune into the heart center and tune into these qualities of the heart, which are innate in all of us. But, you know, some of us, you know, didn't, learned to cultivate them or didn't value them or um, or they got buried early on or they're they're kind of shy in us and and more hidden so we can we can work at cultivating them or we can work at cultivating them in specific areas of our lives maybe there are specific areas um that it's natural and easy to have compassion and generosity or kindness and then there are other areas where It just seems like there's a block, like you know. Sometimes, literally, people feel like, "Oh, there's like, like my heart tenses up or my heart closes," and so we can work on be, you know, being curious about that, and oftentimes um, practicing compassion in those situations involves also like getting curious and and bringing compassion to the part of us that feels like it needs to to close or, or hold back or or shut down, because probably there was some wounding there at some point, maybe, maybe not currently, but maybe the memory is still there, may need additional attention. So because I'm, I'm giving this talk because our minds are so wily, and our attention often gets scattered, and it can be easy to, like, get confused about what, Practices or what our practice is, Um, so sometimes it can be helpful to have somebody that you're checking in with regularly, just to um, have accountability or or somebody else's like awareness holding your awareness. Be like, okay, what am I, you know, what am I working with in my meditation? What what would I like to cultivate? Because we do have choice there. Um, Cultivating concentration is definitely. Helpful and feeds into all the other uh, forms of practice, but there may be like specific um, practices that you're either curious about and want to learn more about, or um, you have an affinity for, or would like to like to develop. Um, and maybe you try it, and then it's like, wait, am I doing this right? Or um, is this the way it's supposed to go? So you know, having somebody that you check in with about your practice just can be uh, so supportive and beneficial for, for practice to deepen or for you to really like take ownership or, or feel empowered um, to practice and to practice in all areas of your life if that is what you would like to do. But if you don't have somebody that you're working with regularly, some questions that I'd like to leave you with are, like, what are you practicing? How are you connecting to presence? Just in this, you know, in this moment or when you meditate? What habits of mind are you aware of and actively wanting to work with or get to know or transform? And how are you responding to the conditions of your body, heart, and mind? And if your intention feels unclear, this is a question I come back to all the time. It's a deep koan. Why why do you practice? And that's something like you can ask yourself every day and probably get a different answer, but it's worth asking. And sometimes it touches back to something, you know, wordless, but but meaningful to us and meaningful to be in relationship to because, you know, the mind is wily and it can tell us that we don't need to practice or we shouldn't practice or that practice is bad <laughs> or whatever it does. <laughs> All right. well, thank you everyone for being here. Um, I know I went a little long. I'm curious if anyone has any questions or if we want to open up a discussion and please feel free if you need to go um, to go.